0: And I think there is this unique opportunity now within the comedy space and podcasting and these headlining genius comics that are willing to point that comedic creativity towards filmmaking to have a resurgence and golden age of dope comedy films. What up, what up, folks? What's going on? Welcome to the Spun Today podcast, the only podcast that is anchored in writing, but unlimited in scope. I'm your host, Tony Ortiz, and I appreciate you listening. In this episode, I'm going to recap and review three different movies for you guys. First up is The Machine, Burke movie, followed by White Men Can't Jump, the new reboot version, and lastly, Flamin' Hot, all of which I thoroughly enjoyed for different reasons which I'll be sharing with you all in a bit. But first I wanted to ask you guys, do you want to support the spun today podcast? Do you want to support podcasts in general? If so, there's no time like the present and there's a ton of different ways that you can do so such as rating and reviewing the show, wherever it is that you're listening to it, which really does help or by visiting my website at spuntoday.com forward slash support where you'll find things like coffee mugs and t-shirts that you can purchase. As well as my affiliate links with the discounts that you can use for things like athletic greens Which is a great nutritional supplement that I use almost daily and discount codes for stitch fix In case you wanted to upgrade that wardrobe a bit and much more. So definitely visit sponsoratecom forward slash support And here is one other quick way that you can help support this show if you so choose Then we'll jump right into the episode The Spun newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm gonna do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're gonna receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests, I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address and you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. The Machine, based on the quote, incredible story by Bert Kreischer. Now, this movie was an absolute treat for podcast fans everywhere. I know it definitely was for me. During a recent episode of this podcast, I told you guys about going to see Burk kreischer live during the fully loaded comedy festival that he put together specifically the forest hills new york show and i gave those of you who are the uninitiated a uh, bit of a background on the whole machine story which i'm not going to rehash here but i'd be remiss if i didn't share the original story in its entirety with you guys now i think it really sets the stage well for my little recap and review of the movie, which I'll get to right after. And also, it's a great fucking story. The version of the story that that I enjoy most, which I'll link to in the episode notes so you guys can actually watch it visually, is just the audio that was taken from Rogan's podcast like over 12 years ago, when Bert uh, originally told the story on his pod. And like I mentioned before, I was like listening to that story live uh, when it happened. But someone took that story, the audio from that story, and created like this South Parkish type animation That goes really well with it So I'll link to that in the episode notes It's from the Become My Minions uh, YouTube page If you guys uh, want to check it out But the story itself is about 9 minutes long So if you've heard it before Don't want to hear it again Feel free to skip forward About 9 minutes And I'll continue with my little recap and review Of the actual movie itself And those of you who haven't heard the story yet You're in for an absolute treat So here you go
1: So listen, man, last time you were here, there's a fucking story about the Russian mob. We tease these bitches, (laughs) we we let, these people right now on Twitter, they have been going crazy all day. Do not let Bert Kreischer get out of there without the Russian mob story, man. Tell us what the fuck happened. All right, this is in um, 1993, probably, I think is when I went to Russia. I was taking Russian classes at Florida State, I thought they were Spanish classes because I thought there were Spanish classes because I, it was a noon class and I signed up and then I was like, fucking sweet, Spanish at noon? I could phone that in. And then I get there and they start writing in a new language, a new alphabet. And I'm like, all right, this clearly isn't Spanish. So then I say I'm going to leave and the teacher's like, listen, don't leave um, because if you leave, well, I, we can't have a class and I can't get my master's degree. so But if you stick around, I'll talk to you after the class. I get done the end of the class. She's like, um, listen, don't... Uh, you know, if you don't leave, and I won't, and just show up at class, I'll give you a C. I was like, done, done. So I took Russian. I took Russian one, two, and three because these kids needed another guy in the their class to take these classes. So then finally, I take Russia I take Russian four, and we go to Russia. We go to Russia. But this is Russia like when the mob ran Russia. Like, are you did are you guys aware of that? No. Okay, in like the nine late nineties, mid nineties, the mob ran everything that had to do with Russia. So when going over to Russia, you had to you had to literally pay off the mob in order to go and study abroad so we paid off the mob and they gave us in return two banditos two young mobsters who would go everywhere with us they lived Whoa. in our hotel. They stayed with us. They went on tours with us. They went they would did everything with us. Their names were Igor and Sasha. And when we got there, <laughs> our, our teacher was like, listen, this is Igor and Sasha. They will be ghosting us with my teacher who was there with me. He was like, They're in the fucking mob.
0: Igor and Sasha. Igor and Sasha. It's like and a they gay were, guy
1: named Bruce. And they were like, and they were like, oh, it gets worse. So So they're like, listen, whatever you do to our class, do not talk to them, do not interact with them. Oh my God. Do not engage them. They are only here to shadow us. So in my head, I'm like, fucking get to know these guys, right? Like, get a bottle of vodka, six-pack of Baltica, <laughs> knock on their door. Now mind you, I speak no Russian at the time. No Russian, because I'd never studied in any of the classes. So, first night there, I knock on Igor and Sasha's room, and they're having a party in there. Like, fucking all their friends are in their room. They lived right next to me, and Kendra, my teacher, lived across the hall from Igor. So I knock on their door. Igor opens the door, and he looks like a fucking thug. He's got, he's got like, a wife beater on, a cigarette, a beer, and he just looks at me in Russian and just goes, Sto. And now, the second he says that, I start panicking. All the phrases I had in my head that I was trying to say, all disappear, and all I say to Igor in Russian is, I am the machine. <laughs> 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 what is that, how do you say that? Yamashino. And so, but I just said, Yamashino. And he went, huh, sto? And I, now I don't know what I've said. I'm like, did, what did I just say, I'll fuck you up? Like, And I go, I go, I am the machine. And he goes, say it again. I said, I am the machine. And then he starts laughing, and he brings me into the room. He's like, hold on. Say it again. And so I say it to the room. I don't know what the fuck I'm saying. I'm like, I'm the machine. And they're like, you're the machine. I'm like, I'm the machine. I said that all fucking night with these guys. That's the wow. only communication we had is I said I'm the machine. And Igor and Sasha and I became best friends, right? We did everything together. If we went on a field trip, uh, I, they would tell me, machine, you don't need to go on the field trips. Come drink with us. So now... Uh, Cut to one day we have to take a train to Moscow. Now a different mob ran the train to Moscow and a different mob ran Moscow. And Igor and Sasha were not allowed to cross boundaries. And they told me, they said, listen, we're not going to go with you, but we've taken care of you. We've talked to the mobsters on the train and in Moscow. Because we had to pay them too. They had to So they weren't allowed to come with you? They weren't allowed to come with us. Because it's a different mob. And we're paying a different mob now to protect us on the train. Wow. We're paying a different mob to protect us in Moscow. Holy shit. So... They said, we've taken care of it. Don't worry about it. So they take me to the train, and uh, they introduce me to our two new gangsters, Igor and Igor. And what? <laughs> I Double swear, Igors. I swear to you. I Three Igors you. out of four dudes. Igor and Igor. There's not a lot of names in Russia. It's Alex, Igor, or Sasha. What about Fyodor? So, so Igor and Igor, my Igor says to these Igors, this is the machine. If you give them alcohol, you'll have a great time. So <laughs> Igor and Igor are like through the roof. They're like, awesome. Don't worry. We've taken care of you. We've, we're sitting in first class. You're not sitting with your class. You're sitting in first class to Moscow. And I'm like, holy shit, this is what I'm talking about. And I bring another guy, John Bolshoi, Big John. I bring him with me to go sit in first class. And sure enough, man, we're in fucking first class. Just me, these two Igors, John, the conductor, I shit you not, the conductor, before the train takes off, comes into the room, I swear to you, rips off the band on his thing, says, this is a present for the machine. It would be an honor to do a shot with you. And I'm like, oh this is fucking right so I do a shot with the conductor and we pound this vodka within like fucking 30-45 minutes we're done all the vodka in the room whoa wow. we're drinking hard and my class is all on coach and I'm sitting in first class and Igor and Igor are like let's go get more vodka and I'm like done they, these guys run the fucking train so we get up we walk into the bar cart and uh, Big Igor says Machine grab a um, bottle of uh, grab, grab some bread kleb. and I'm like that's bread I'm, I'm understanding Russian he's like grab some Sia that's cheese I'm like I'm learning Russian. I'm looking at John who's standing behind me. He's like, yeah. He's like, grab vodka. I go, I know that one. And he's like, grab all the money. Grab all the rubles. And I go, what? I look around and we're robbing the bar cart. What? The, The bartender's standing like this. Everyone's standing against the wall. And I'm sitting behind the bar with a handful of rubles, a bottle of vodka, and a thing of bread going, holy fuck. John looks at me and he's like, just take it. Let's go. Take all the fucking cash out of the bar cart. And what is the bartender doing? Not making eye contact. Every And they're Everyone out. just lets it happen. Every, it's the mob. They ran everything in Russia. Everything. Wow. And so we get done and we go back to our room and it's a totally different energy. Like very like... Very sketchy, you know. And, and are you uh, freaked out now? I'm freaked out because I'm like, fuck! I just robbed the car. Like no one else saw anyone rob the bar car except for me and my teacher Val, who's at the time was our chaperone. Didn't speak any Russian. She comes to our first class cart, opens the door, and says, "I need to talk to you right now." And I was like, "Listen." And she goes, "I told you that you're in big trouble. You, I, my classmate, your classmates have told me what happened." Big Igor takes a sip of vodka, spits it in her eyes, and goes, "No one talks to the machine like that." I'm like whoa. whoa he spit vodka in her eyes and fucking it is and th- and then shuts the door and then looks at me and he says don't worry I got you when it gets dark we're gonna have a lot of fun and he pulls out a thing of keys he's got keys to the whole fucking train he's like we're gonna rob everyone when the when it gets dark now I'm like fuck what oh did I get myself my into God. like this is bad news bad fucking news so we gets dark, and sure enough, then we start robbing the train. Go through my class first, and we fucking open the door. Little Igor would crawl in, pull the bags out. John and I would go through them and try not to steal, like, anything important. And Big Igor would stand guard, and if anyone woke up, he'd take a sip of vodka and spit it in their face. What? And, and it was, I mean, it's sketchy. Now it's sketchy. It's not even fun. Are they? Lo- are these guys armed? Fucking, no, no, no. They're loaded, though. They're hammered, piss drunk. We robbed my whole class, and then... Uh, and then we end up, they end up taking off and going into the car, and me and John are sitting in in the first class car just thinking, we're fucked, man, we're fucked. We robbed the train, we robbed the bar cart, and they come back, and they're just fucking angry drunk, like piss angry drunk. We pull into Moscow, and my teacher, Val, uh, comes to the door, opens it, and said, I'm just letting you know we've called the police. So I was like, fuck. So... Igor and Igor are like, fuck it, don't worry, fuck the police, fuck the police, this is Russia. Who the fuck does she think she is? This isn't America, this is Russia, we run everything. I'm like, ugh, I'm gonna fucking go to the gulag.
0: Sure <laughs> the enough, gulag.
1: sure enough, man, the cops are sitting on the, on the middle, like... The middle you know where people get off the train that little receiving area my class is sitting there my whole class are in the pajamas they're crying their bags have been gone through they're fucking giving statements to the cops and the cops are writing them down and i'm sitting with igor and igor and john in the fucking cart and they're just still drinking and smoking and they're like fuck this fuck this we'll take it there this right now they walk outside out to the cops And start yelling at the cops And I'm like Motherfucker This is not how I would have Taken care of this Just (laughs) I don't even know What they're saying But they're just shouting And the cops are shouting back And then finally Big Igor just starts Pointing at me And I'm like oh, He's pinning this whole Fucking thing on me Like I'm going down For the whole thing And then the cop Starts pointing at me And telling me Or whatever he's saying Come here right now So I fucking walk out And it's that moment Where you find the hash on your body, you know, they find it and you're going to jail forever. Is that that moment, that walk where your asshole gets cold and you're like, this is it. This Midnight is so Express. Fucking, that's the moment. And I walk all the way across this little fucking trail to get to him, I get right up to the cop and the cop looks at me and he goes, I understand you're the machine. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, tonight you party with us. And I was like, <laughs> what? All right. So then we went out and party with these cops. <laughs> so the cops did nothing. Fucking nothing. They were so excited to meet the machine.
0: How great is that story? It's like it has so many different elements within it. Burt claims it's true. It's something that actually happened to him back in college. Certain aspects of it are exaggerated for comedic effect as comedians do. What I personally appreciate most from it from a storytelling perspective is all the different elements within it. The ups and the downs, like rooting for him. At certain points, you think he's a piece of shit. At other points, you get invested in what's gonna happen. It's suspenseful. It's funny, obviously. It has like so much going on. It's potent. It's rich in story, if that makes any sense. It does to me. Hopefully it does to you guys. But what's really dope also is just the arc of someone telling a story on a podcast that was not yet and very far from being the largest platform on the planet. So it didn't even have that like Rogan effect yet, but a relatively unknown comic telling a story on a podcast, him being encouraged to tell that story on stage, and then true comedy and podcast fans, when Bert is on stage, pushing him to actually tell the story, to develop it, to try it, Bert giving in and doing it, and then that story along with his work ethic, talent, marketing genius, which he definitely has, catapulting him into a headlining top tier comic and podcaster who's then able to parlay that story into a feature film, just that story idea, that story, that rich story, parlaying that into a feature film, wide release worldwide in movie theaters, and doing that piece of it on the side to a financial loss to himself because of how popular the podcasts and comedy touring have become. Doing a movie like that actually takes away from you financially. But just the arc of that story, going from that initial nine minute or so nugget on an obscure internet radio show called the Joe Rogan Experience Podcast. Winding up where it is today is just fucking amazing. I love that. Definitely a round of applause for that. Just for the power of podcasts. Now the movie for me, and take this with a grain of salt because I definitely am biased being such a, a big podcast fan, definitely did not disappoint. And I will get into the financials of the movie towards the end of this little recap and review. But first, let's start off with the official synopsis. Bert's drunken past catches up with him 20 years down the road when he and his father are kidnapped by those Bert wronged 20 years ago while drunk on a college semester abroad in Russia. And as we always do here on the Spun Today podcast, I want to give a special shout out to the writers that make it all possible. And by all, I mean all. Every form of media that you or see. The movie was written by Burt Kreischer, based on his story. And the screenplay written by Kevin Beagle and Scotty Landis. Shout out to Burt Kreischer, Kevin Beagle, and Scotty Landis. Now, something I think that the movie did really well, that I enjoyed, were the flashback scenes. And how in the flashback scenes throughout the movie, they sprinkle in showing different aspects of that machine story that I, I just played for you guys. You know, like going to Russia, knocking on the door of the bandits that were assigned to them in the hotel room, and then partying with them, and then the different train scenes that he goes through, and like robbing the train, so on and so forth. Because the movie starts off, you know, like modern day Burt playing pretty much himself, a accomplished stand-up comedian and podcaster. He has a couple daughters, as he does in real life, and their family is throwing his daughter a birthday party. It's an outdoor birthday party slash pool party. A lot of people around. Leanne, uh, Bert's actual wife, in real life makes a cameo in the movie as like a a single mom or something that Bert hates and like makes fun of. (laughs) But during this party, the daughter of a Russian mobster, Kingpin, corners and confronts Bert after they see Bert on TV, on Netflix, I believe, telling this machine story. And the father, the Russian kingpin guy, puts two and two together, and remembers a time when he was a young businessman traveling on a train when he got robbed, and one of the things they sold from him was a family heirloom. And that's what apparently set him off into a life of crime. Now, he's a lot older, and his children now, the daughter and a couple of brothers, you know, want to Avenge that for his father. So they track down Bert. They wind up kidnapping Bert because he obviously doesn't remember, you know, who, who he stole what from. Because it was, you know, he was drunk and it was at the pretty much gunpoint of the the Russian mobsters that were telling him to steal shit. So they decide to just kidnap him to, to take him back to Russia to help retrace his steps from 20 years back and figure out where the fuck this family heirloom watch thing is. And they kidnap Bert as well as his father, who's played by Mark Hamill, aka the original Luke Skywalker, which is pretty cool. So they do that, and in taking Bert back and him having to retrace his steps, he's like retelling the story as they get to Russia and saying, okay, this is where the dorms were. Oh, yeah, I remember this party that was going on, blah 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 blah. And then they flash back to a young Bert played by Jimmy Tatro, which did an amazing job as Burt is like retelling the story and then they show those like flashback scenes. So I think that they executed excellently. And for those of us who are, you know, fans of the machine story or of podcasts rather and know the machine story so well, it's like an extra treat because like that story just became over the, the decade plus just like podcast folklore, podcast legend, you know, it's a it on the screen and see aspects of the story executed uh, the way they were. It was kind of like little Easter eggs throughout it. And you anticipate certain things like, oh, yeah, this is the part where he's going to like spit the vodka, so on and so forth, which just made the experience that much more satisfying. And that's pretty much the premise of the movie. Like the deeper he gets into the machine story itself, you know, the more and more it like flashes back, it shows you everything. Then it goes back to current times and you see them go to for example, the room where the gangsters used to like party and stuff. And Bert said there was like a, a safe in a wall, so they like break a wall and they look for stuff in there. They find like where the stash was, but the watch itself wasn't there, so that was a dead end. And then they continue to retrace steps. They go on the on the train, which reminds me of they were like really funny one-liners throughout that seemed, at, at least to me, like ad-libbed, which wouldn't be surprising, you know, coming from an actual comic where like a scene in particular on the train for example there were like these russian mobsters that looked like goth guys kind of mixed with something else and bert's like they look like they're fucking cosplaying american history x and that was just like a a funny reference and they actually really did (laughs) and the action by the way was pretty fucking good there was a scene an elaborate like fighting shooting scene there was a couple of them um one towards the beginning and one towards the end that stand out the most to me but the one in the beginning at the condos which are now condos but back then that's where like the dorm was for the students there was a fight scene and shooting scene that broke out and bert and his dad are pretty much being chaperoned by the daughter of this mobster guy and her like little crew of thugs and then the brother comes with his crew and they're trying to like take bert and and bert's father because they want to be the ones that secure this family heirloom for their for the father right so like they're in like internal family strife competition shit so you have kind of like the these uh this competing faction of of mob members going at it and there's a scene if you can picture they're they're like going down in an elevator you know there's a lot of fighting going on the daughter's like and it's like john wick style like shooting and you see blood splatter and fucking flipping people, breaking their arms, cracking their necks. And Bert and his father are like ducking and screaming and scared. And there's one point where they go down in the elevator and then they're in the lobby and there's like a shootout going on in the lobby. And a guy that has them at gunpoint gets shot and drops and his gun is there. And then the bad guys that are looking to like take Bert and his father and they start shooting at at Bert and his father and they're like stuck in the elevator. And Bert like just like grabs the gun out of instinct. He's like, I'm gonna shoot him in the leg. I'm gonna shoot him in the leg. And his father's like, do it, do it. And he's like, I'm just going to shoot him in the leg. And he shoots. And the bullet winds up like ricocheting. It winds up hitting the guy in the head. (laughs) Kills him instantly. It like ricochets in the lobby. And hilariously like kills two other people. So it's like that one bullet that he intended to shoot the guy in the leg. winds up killing three people somehow. (laughs) Like some magic bullet shit. So it was like really good action scenes like that. Mixed with comedy, obviously. Because that's like the backbone of the movie is comedy right um, and there's this hilariously gross disgusting scene where it's just like a funny concept and looked funny and it's essentially they're on the train and like this other fight breaks out and Irina played by Eva Babik which is the daughter of the gangster kingpin guy she comes up bega- behind the guy that's confronting either Bird or Bert's father and just slits his throat and it's like holy fuck but the guy's like this brolic dude, and he like keeps coming, and Bert winds up throwing a punch, like to punch the guy in the face, but winds up punching him in the throat. But since she's slit his throat, his fist gets stuck inside his throat. <laughs> it was so fucking gross, but it's like you picture it happening given <laughs> given the circumstances, and then his hand is stuck, and he's trying to get it out. Then the guy falls on top of him, and then it was just fucking gross. I think he starts throwing up and. It was fucking great, gross and great at the same time. Really good scene. Speaking of gross, there's one that's in the trailer that's that's really funny. Where he's trying to take a like a piece of wood or something that's went through Arena's leg. Bert is trying to get it out for her and like pull it out, and she's like screaming in agony, and there's like blood everywhere, and he winds up like dry heaving, and she's like, "Don't throw up, or I'm gonna throw up." "Don't throw up, or I'm gonna throw up." And he's like, "I'm not gonna throw up." And she's like, "Don't throw up, don't throw up, I'm gonna or I'm gonna throw up." And then he just like, like throws up, and then but like into his hand. <laughs> and, then, <laughs> and then he just puts the throw up in his jacket pocket. <laughs> and then she's like, did you just put it in your fucking pocket? And he's like, I don't know where to put it. <laughs> really fucking funny. And in the actual movie, in that scene they're like in this village, because he reunited with one of the old banditis from back in the day, Igor, who had since left the life. And they're like in this little self-sustaining village in Russia, and a lot of the people know who Bert is. And Igor's like, how do they know me? Uh Bert is asking Igor, like, how do they know me? He's like, oh, they listen to your podcast. <laughs> so shout out to podcast. I thought that was a very cool, dope moment. I do say so myself. And I love this heart-to-heart moment that Irina and, e- and Bert have. When Bert is telling her about his need to, like, balance... The machine character that he built up to this party animal machine guy and the real Bert and how he felt that he had to like kill off the machine and like stop playing into it and and stuff like that just so he can be Bert again. And she interestingly compared that to Steve Urkel and Family Matters and how Steve Urkel created Stefan Urkel and then at one point had to choose between either Stefan Urkel or just Steve Urkel. And when he chose Stefan Urkel, he kind of went bad. He went dark. He was like a bad version of Stefan Urkel because it killed off like all the good aspects of him, the Steve Urkel aspects of him. And when he was just Steve, he also felt dissatisfied. So ultimately he wound up cloning himself and creating created the good Stefan Urkel version and the Steve Urkel version. And there was like a balance there. And she likened that to her own life and being a mobster and stuff like that. But she tells him this line, which I thought wa- was pretty dope and definitely has some truth to it and could apply to, to other aspects of life. And I love finding things like that in unlikely places, like, uh, you know, this comedy movie, basically, having like a life lesson within it, which if you're open to it, I think you you can always find in, in, in things in different unlikely areas. But she tells him, quote, we don't grow by destroying parts of ourselves. We grow by finding balance between the parts. And if you guys listen to this podcast long enough, you know that I am all about striving at least for balance in most things. So that right there definitely resonated with me. And lastly, I'll say about the movie that I really like the cinematography of it. Like the way it looked just looked great. It looked really, really good. Like, I don't know anything about cinematography aside from saying the word cinematography and making it sound like I know what the fuck I'm talking about. But that to me just means like visually how something looks on the screen. And like the angles they take with the camera, the tint or the hue of it, like that type of stuff was just uh, visually satisfying to me. So kudos to them on that. Now let's talk finances because one of the biggest criticisms of this movie is how it was a box office flop. The budget for it was around 20 million. And to date, it's made worldwide about 10.6 million. So it's made about 50% of its money back while it, it was in theaters. Now, apparently the online or like streaming sales, cause you could, you could rent it or uh, you can stream it or, or buy it now, like through Amazon, for example, those sales are, are doing really well, but those numbers I don't have. So it's more hearsay. Although that is how I saw the movie. And the only reason why, which I, I wound up uh, buying it, not renting it, via Amazon. But the only reason why I didn't see it in theaters is because my particular theater that I go to wasn't showing the movie, which was definitely a, a letdown because I did want to support it in the theater. And I even searched like a couple of the other theaters that around the way that aren't particularly the theater that I always go to, but that I have gone to. And I was like, fuck it, just to support, I'll go there, even though it's a less of a good experience at some of the other, other theaters, but they weren't there either. And that's the bone that I have to pick with, I guess it's more so with like Sony Pictures and whatever goes into like that side of the decision making of of how wide of a release it is because the movie came out in 2,409 theaters. Now, for comparison, a movie like the Super Mario Brothers movie was in 3,148 theaters. Uh, Fast X is in 4,088 theaters. The Little Mermaid, 4,320 theaters. Those are huge movies, obviously, so not really an apples to apples comparison, uh, but something that's close, much closer, pretty much the same um, about my father, which is Sebastian Maniscalco's movie, which I definitely want to see and support. That one was in 2,464 theaters, so I feel like if it had a wider release, it would have done even better. At least I know that's true in, in, in my case, but would it have done better by 50%? That I'm not so sure. But I did find it interesting based on just looking at the numbers and correlations purely based on my speculation that I can make. When movies are released, like The Machine was released in, like I said, 2,409 theaters. That's like opening weekend. And it's probably that for like a week or so. But then the number of theaters start dwindling down that it's in. So it becomes less and less available to see, right? But its first day coming out, it made $2 2.2 2.2 million first day. The first opening weekend, it made 5 million. So it's in those 2,409 theaters, it made 5 million, which is literally 50% of everything that it's made, it made within the first couple days. So I just wonder if it would have sustained the number of theaters that it was in and maybe increased that to make it a little bit uh, more accessible, how much more box office success it would have had. But I don't know. I just really enjoyed the movie and I want to see more movies like this get made. I want to see more investment from studios into these kind of movies, which from a business perspective won't be a financially sound decision, right? If they put $20 million into something and make, you know, 10, $11 million back, that's just bad business. However, selfishly as a comedy fan, as a fan of like the, the you know, the hangover movies, super bad the like real funny rated R comedies, I want more of that. And we're in a unique moment in time where we have these, this explosion stemming from the podcast space of top tier comedians that can make it happen. I want them to have the opportunity to translate their comedic abilities to the screen. I wanna see the, I know in uh Bert and, and Tom Segura have spoken about this like fat astronauts movie or something like that that they that they pitched that they're trying to get made. Uh, they mentioned it on the on the podcast, uh, Two Bears podcast, and we have the Sebastian movie. Uh, I want to see a movie about uh, Theo Vaughn. I know he wants to make something. Fluffy Gabriel Iglesias had a sitcom. I want to see like more of that. Sebastian's movie that that I mentioned earlier. Uh, Joe List and Louis C.K. made a movie and it wasn't even a, a comedy, and it was fucking excellent. Fourth of July. I broke it down on the pod. And I guess my advice for what it's worth, which probably not much, uh, to the studios is to invest in building up the appetite for these comedy movies because the appetite is there, but the the inventory isn't, you know? So it's like having the appetite for something, but not knowing that what is able to satisfy and quench that appetite, not knowing that that exists or, the, or that it's there is the issue. And I know a lot of people blame like the... Avengers movies and stuff like that for like fucking up the industry, which I don't necessarily agree with. Um, Like me personally, I enjoy the fuck out of those movies, but I also want movies like this as well. I think they can all exist. But from a studio perspective, if, you know, they put a hundred, a hundred million, 200 million into making a John Wick and, you know, then make 500 million back like that's smart business, you know? So they're going to tend to go in that direction. But I feel like that superhero genre, like they did, whether advertently or inadvertently, feed and create that appetite for that type of movie. You know, we had a ton of X-Men movies, Spider-Man movies, Tobey Maguire Spider-Man, you know, Batman's every couple of years, Superman movies, etc., etc. Only back in the day, in the 90s, 2000s, and they weren't these like grand slam, immediate juggernaut, behemoth movies that started coming after you had like the first Iron Man movie parlaying that into the Avengers and all the spin off Avenger movies and then the TV shows, etc. Like you had to go through that time period of those initial superhero movies that did okay, maybe not great. And I think there is this unique opportunity now within the comedy space and podcasting and these headlining genius comics that are willing to point that comedic creativity towards filmmaking. To have a resurgence and golden age of dope comedy films. But until we get there, I'll definitely appreciate movies like The Machine. And it's gonna be one of those that, that I rewatch just to see what like podcast and or the machine story itself, like Easter eggs that I find throughout it, like during like a second and, and subsequent viewings. But shout out again to Burke Reisher for making it happen. The machine available now on Amazon. White Men Can't Jump, the 2023 version. This movie is a remake of the classic 1992 film about a pair of basketball hustlers who team up to earn extra cash. Definitely shout out to Wesley Snipes and Woody Harrelson of the original White Men Can't Jump, which is an absolute classic. Love that movie. So this version definitely had big shoes to fill. And honestly, I'll say that I think it did a decent job of doing so. Do I prefer it over the original? Definitely not. Was it a good movie and would I watch it again? And did I like it? Absolutely. But before I share some of my takeaways, let's shout out the writers. Because if we don't shout out the writers here on the Spun Today podcast, who will? White Man Can't Jump was written by Kenya Barris, Doug Hall, and Ron Shelton. Shout out to Kenya Barris, Doug Hall, and Ron Shelton. Now, the movie stars Sonequa Walls playing Kamal, which is the Wesley Snipes character, and Jack Harlow playing Jeremy, who is the Woody Harrelson character. A couple honorable mentions that'd be remiss if I didn't mention would be Vince Staples, who plays Speedy, which is one of Kamal's close friends. And quick aside on Vince Staples, by the way, his 2021 album Vince Staples, I loved. It. I thought it was a great album, but I hadn't listened to the Ramona Park Broke My Heart album, the 20 his 2022 album, and it's really fucking good too. Shout out to Vince Staples, and also want to shout out my guy Andrew Schultz, who played TJ in the movie. He played a funny role of like a drug pusher at the gym, basically, who's cool with uh, Jeremy Jack Carlos character, and someone who I thought was really funny was Miles. Bullock, who played Renzo, one of Kamal and Speedy's other other friends, and he was like the the comedic relief. You know, the movie itself is a comedy, but he was just like on and funny all the time. Shout out as well to Lance riddick R.I.P., who plays Benji, which is Kamal's father. So this Kamal character, well, the movie first of all, in and of itself, is obviously a remake of the original and very very reminiscent of the the original. They pay homage to the to the original throughout the movie in a lot of different ways from like certain moves on the basketball court to just certain scenes like when they're hustling in the playground scene in the original where one of the dudes get gets pissed off and goes to his car and gets a gun hearing the new one the same type of thing happens but the guy goes to his car and comes back with a flamethrower <laughs> which was a little over the top but funny nonetheless um, certain scenes like when Woody Harrelson in the original, he's coming off the train. You have that like iconic shot of like the playground, the like stairs from the train station, like overseeing the playground and him coming down towards the court. They use that same exact scene in, in this movie. So things like that are like riddled throughout the film, which is definitely checks off the nostalgia box. And, and it was cool to see the dynamic between the couples are, are very similar. So Wesley Snipes' wife in the original, Tyra Farrell, plays like the strong woman that's really holding the family together, keeping track of their like finances and keeping things on point. They have that type of dynamic w- within their relationship. And similarly, Kamal's character, or the character of Kamal, rather, in the remake and his wife, Imani, played by Tayana Taylor, have that similar relationship dynamic. And then Woody Harrelson's, relationship with Rosie Perez in the original where Woody Harrelson is like the aloof kind of like loserish gambling guy and Rosie Perez is like the dreamer but with a specific direction and vision is reminiscent of the relationship dynamic between Jack Harlow's character Jeremy and Laura Harrier's character Tatiana in this remake where she wants to be I believe an actress or she's, like a, she's a dancer and she got the opportunity to dance in something, but like, that was like her specific vision, dream, right? Now, one of the things that's different is that in this movie, Kamal's character is like this high school and college, I believe college, but he's like this young, you know, up and coming phenom basketball star that everybody knows and definitely gonna make it to the NBA and get drafted at the top of the heap. And he has his father played by Lance Reddick again who plays like a mellow ball type father figure, at least it seems like, like he's at the forefront of like all the media questions and and stuff like that about his son. But then we later come to find that he's just like really invested in, in his son's like well-being and future, not for like personal gain, but because he was diagnosed with MS and he knows like his time is limited basically with what he's gonna be able to do and what he's gonna be able to see. Uh, of his son's career So he's like really Trying to help him and, and, and like push him Into becoming who He knows he can be But as his father gets sicker And Kamal gets like In and out of trouble Outside You know Off the court Has a bad temper He you know Those NBA dreams Kind of you know Fall to the wayside And becomes this like Washed up College athlete Has been Kind of guy But he's obviously Still a hell of a ball player And then similar to The original him And Jeremy they wind up meeting and choosing to like team up together to like hustle and make some extra money. And they have like the similar contentious, but getting close to each other, relationship dynamic. And ultimately the climax of the movie is that they wind up entering a $500,000 tournament, which had a $7,500 buy-in to get into. to a three-on-three tournament, very similar to the original. Now, Kamal's wife puts up $5,000 of her own money, which is all her savings that she was saving to open up her her own uh, beauty salon. She had been saving up for that and in the meantime, you know, using their apartment as a place to, to service her clients for like hairstyling and stuff. She puts up 5K and tells him to come up with the other 2,500 and, you know, go for it. Go for his dream. Make it happen. Him and his friends come up with it including Jeremy, Jack Carlos' character, and they wind up winning the tournament. And what I like about this one is that they, the other, I mean, you can't, they say in, in writing, in movies, in stories in general, like you have to have an inter, your characters have to have an internal want and an external want for it to be a satisfying movie from a consumer perspective they can't just get everything that they want. Everything can just work out perfectly, happily ever after like type of thing across the board. Like you have to either get your internal one or your external one and then give up or lose the other. So an example of that from the original movie would be for example, Woody Harrelson at the end finally getting his financial shit together even though he continued to gamble but happened to come up like on the winning side and then losing the girl at the end. With Rosie Prez leaving him, and then this one in the remake, you have them winning the tournament. Imani winds up opening her hair salon. Jeremy winds up getting Tatiana back, who they had like taken a break, broken up. They get to see each other. He proposes to her, he gets her back. He starts getting legitimate clients to work with, professional athletes, and stuff like that, because he's like really into green juices and meditation and woo woo type shit like that. And Alan. Kamal rather winds up getting a contract to play overseas, and he does that um, for a couple years. And he then he winds up getting onto the Lakers G League squad, and then gets called up to the NBA for a ten day contract, similar to like the like the Jeremy Lin type story in New York. So all of them get like those like external wants, but on the flip side, his father Benji, again played by Lance Reddick winds up passing away. And as they say, art imitates life, imitates art, imitates life. But lastly, I'll leave you with this, which is something that, that resonated a line from the movie that, that resonated with me, that Lance Reddick told his son, Cinque Walls, played by or Cinque Walls, rather, the Kamal character. When he last visited him in the hospital, he told him that, quote, your family deserves to know the joyful you not the you that has a chip on his shoulder." End quote. And that, folks, is my recap and review of White Men Can't Jump, the 2023 remake, which is available now on Hulu. Check it out. Flamin' Hot is a movie released in 2023, currently available on Hulu. Here's the official synopsis. This is the inspiring, quote, true, End quote. I'll get back to that in a bit. Story of Richard Montañez, who as Frito-Lay janitor disrupted the food industry by channeling his Mexican heritage to turn Flamin' Hot Cheetos from a snack into an iconic global pop culture phenomenon. As always, before I give you my recap, review, and takeaways of the film, let's shout out the writers, those who make it all possible. Flamin' Hot is based on the book by Richard Montañez, book title is A Boy, A Burrito, and a Cookie, From Janitor to Executive. It's based on the life of Richard Montañez and his wife, Judy Montañez. And the screenplay is written by Louis Kolick and Linda Yvette Chavez. Round of applause and shout out to each and every one of the writers. Now, from a story perspective, this is absolutely an inspirational rags to riches underdog coming up on top type of story. Now, as I alluded to in the intro there with the quote unquote around true, the story itself is not without controversy. And I'll circle back to that in the end. So this movie looks back on the life of Richard Montañez, played by Jesse Garcia. He's married to Judy Montañez, played by Annie Gonzalez, which does a great job in this film. She's like the quintessential supportive wife that is like the cornerstone to the family. Richard comes from a poor upbringing, has a contentious relationship with his father, who I believe used to drink and abuse him. He's in and out of trouble growing up, gets into gangs out there in California. And when he gets his girl pregnant, tries to go legit, you know, get away from the gang life, selling drugs, etc. A friend of his tells him about a job at a local Frito-Lay factory in Cucamonga in California. He goes to apply for it, you know, barely knows how to read and write. He's a high school dropout. And the hiring manager is a little iffy when he get he actually gets the interview. But he's a good talker, he's a hustler, and the hiring manager uh, takes a chance on him and gives him the job. And the job is to be a janitor. But he's super psyched, it's his first legit job. You know, he's making an, an, an honest living. And he's amped to be around like all, all this machinery that's producing all different types of snacks. And he's really fascinated by the engineering. And the company has a, a segmented type of culture, as most companies do, even uh, to today, where like the execs chill with the execs. You know, it's very, very high school. Like the jocks table versus the the nerds table versus the pre- pretty preppy table. It's like that, right? Like the engineers hang out together, the execs hang out together, the machine workers hang out together, the janitors hang out together, etc. He's like so fascinated by these machines and he starts to like warm up to and develop a relationship with one of the head engineers, Clarence C Baker, played by Dennis Haysbert, which is the Allstate voice guy. And from a storytelling perspective, he plays the mentor in this story. Now, Frito-Lay is going through hard times as the movie progresses, as the story goes on, and it begins laying off people. And the CEO of the company puts out a video message to for all employees to watch. And they literally you know, roll it out to the lunchroom like how they used to do back in the day in school, like when they used to be like a movie day or something like that in elementary school, they used to roll in the TV with the VHS tape and like put it on and play it. They did that while the employees were at lunch. Mostly everybody was ignoring it. And the main message of the video was the CEO telling all the employees that they should act like owners. They should take ownership and pride in what they do and try to come up with ideas to help the company. Richard Montañez takes this to heart and One day when he's at a park with his two boys and his wife, and they're eating like spicy Mexican snacks, like the corn on the cob with Mexican spices on it. And he's looking around and he gets the idea for those kinds of like spices and chilies and limes and that flavoring for a chip. And as the story goes, he buys a bunch of these different spices and chilies and goes home and he and his wife and his kids try to put together a bunch of different combinations and they sprinkle them on some of the Cheetos and snacks that he took from the factory before they were like sprinkled with cheese to like test out how these spices would, would taste. And long story short, they come up with a winning formula that he believes. Starts giving out to friends and family, they all like it. And he wants to pitch it to his higher ups. And he winds up through like the company directory looking up the phone number for the CEO and calling him directly. And the CEO, Roger Enrico, Played by Tony Shaloub, shout out to my guy Jeebs from Men in Black. He's taken aback and he's like, wait, you're a janitor? And you had this idea? And he was like, yeah, you know, I saw your video, blah, blah, blah. And the the CEO it tells him that he's going to be in town uh, visiting the factory in a couple of weeks. Um, and he wants him to put together a presentation and pitch his idea to him and his team. Him going over his that direct manager's head, you know, gets him a bit of heat. And trouble, but ultimately, they, they like help him prep for his presentation. Um, his wife as well, they go to a library, take out books on like marketing and financial presentations, and you know, put something together. They have the presentation, it goes well, not great, but ultimately, the CEO instructs his team to test out the Flaming Hot Cheetos product in a couple markets. It winds up doing well. A while after, the CEO calls him and tells him that they're gonna have to order a few more cases. And Richard's like really hyped, and he's like, what, like like 5,000 maybe? And then he tells him that it's uh, it's gonna be for a wor- uh, nationwide release, and it's gonna be 5 million, which was a beautiful fucking moment in the story right there. Even gets me a little like choked up just thinking about, about it, like that prideful, like you fucking did it moment, you know? Then it goes on to show how they surprise the entire plant and the ceo surprise richard uh with like calling him out to like one of the offices because you know he's still the janitor um to clean up one of the offices and then the ceo is there and tells him like a, a touching little monologue and then on the door of the office that he was called to go clean he like slides in the nameplate of richard montanez and asks him to like join his like executive team and he calls his wife and Tells her the news and the way he tells her the news, just like makes you fucking break down. He calls her and she's working at like a Target warehouse and tells uh just tells her, hey, we're going to need more suits. And it's fucking awesome. And that's how the story within the movie goes. Now, the controversy piece. Oh, but real quick before that, something I thought was cool within the movie itself is how they had him telling the story of how he envisioned the c-suite executives you know like the ceo cfo COO, all the presidents and vps under them how they he richard montanez envisioned them in their board meetings but he would describe their conversations like if they were like cholos on and they would visually show these execs talking to each other like you telling me nabisco is stepping on your turf and you're letting them come into your territory and make more fadia homes, we gotta bring it to them, fools. You know, like shit like that. And then it would like go back and and they would act it out, you know, the way they actually did in actual like corporate speak, quote unquote. I thought that was like an interesting juxtaposition between, you know, comparing like gangsters to C-suite executives, which are a lot more similar in certain ways, you know, with the eyes on the prize, focus on the bottom line mentality than you would think. But... I just thought that was that was worth mentioning there. All right. So circling back to the controversy within this story, like in real life, the Los Angeles Times put out a long article, which I'll link to in the episode notes for you guys to read. And I'm going to share just a, like a few excerpts from it. And it's ultimately refuting that Richard Montañez created and came up with the idea for the Flamin' Hot Cheeto. Remember, there's a book out about this and the story of the creation of the Flamin' Hot Cheeto by Richard Montanez and you know, it's out on the uh, Penguin Random House imprint is the movie, which I just broke down for you guys, which is available now on Hulu. And Richard himself, Montanez has been making these claims since like the mid to late 2000s. That's how he, you know, he he gets like speaking engagements for like 10 grand to 50 grand per appearance, you know, speaking about his experiences going from a janitor to an executive at Frito-Lay PepsiCo, which is fact, but here is the official corporate response from the Los Angeles Times investigation into the story. Quote, none of our records show that Richard was involved in any capacity in the flaming hot test market, end quote. Frito-Lay wrote in a statement to the Times, in response to questions about an internal investigation whose existence has not been previously disclosed. Quote, we have interviewed multiple personnel who were involved in the test market, and all of them indicate that Richard was not involved in any capacity in the test market. That doesn't mean we don't celebrate Richard, the statement continued, but the facts do not support the urban legend. Now that was their, the company's official response. And here's some more information that came out uh, of the article. Flaming Hot's were created by a team of hotshot snack food professionals starting in 1989 in the corporate offices of Frito-Lay's headquarter in Plano, Texas. Now, real quick, in the movie, they allude to this group trying to come up with a spicy snack for Frito-Lay at the same time that Richard Montañez is coming up with, you know, like his Mexican spices at home with his wife. And they kind of show them in like lab coats and trying to do it, you know, very, scientifically and with chemicals and stuff like that that's how they depict them at least in the movie now going back to the article the new product was was designed to compete with spicy snacks sold in the inner city mini marts of the midwest a junior employee with a freshly minted mba named lynn greenfeld got the assignment to develop the brand she came up with the flaming hot name and shepherded the line into existence and this uh, Lynn Greenfeld was the person that initially reached out to To when she started hearing about Richard Montanez's story and how he claimed that he created Flamin' Hots, which is what led to that internal investigation within To and ultimately um, this LA Times piece and that corporate response from them. Now, they do support the fact that obviously, and uh, states in the, in the article, Montanez did ascend from being a plant worker to a director focused on marketing. And he also pitched new products and initiatives. And the company officially went on to also say, "quote we value Richard's many contributions to our company, especially his insights into the Hispanic consumers, but we do not credit the creation of flaming Hot Cheetos or any Flamin' Hot products to him. So all that definitely throws shade on the story as we know it from the movie and Richard Montañez himself. But now here is some more information on the flip side that kind of throws the shade on the whole corporate narrative there, which which initially, very quick aside, kind of gave me the impression of which, by the way, take it with a grain of salt because I kind of want this like feel good, inspirational story to be true. But ultimately, I mean, it is what it is. But my initial like knee jerk reaction was, ah, okay. I see what they did there. Took his idea. Didn't obviously give him ownership in anything. Threw a few bucks his way, gave him a title, let him pitch a, you know additional ideas and stuff like that. But on paper, on brass, you know, it's the the company brass gets the credit on paper, and that's why their official line is you know we cannot confirm nor deny him creating this et cetera et cetera. But I digress. Now something else that does not help Richard's story is the fact that they say the company records show that. And I'm kind of rolling my eyes to company records from the 1980s. But company records show that the initial test market for the Flaming Hot Cheetos were rolled out in the summer of 1990. And Richard's story, according to his memoir, as well as in the movie, say that he was inspired to create the Flaming Hot Cheetos by the film that CEO Roger Enrico put out. But that film did not was not distributed to the employees until December of 1990, so six months after. And then six months after that is like the timeline of when Richard Montañez said he came up with the Flamin' Hot Cheetos. But according again to those company records, they were in test markets six months before. Also, when Flamin' Hots in the summer of 1990 were rolled out into those uh, small test markets, Robert Beebe was the CEO of Frito-Lay, not Roger Enrico. But Roger Enrico was the president and CEO of PepsiCo on the beverage side. And then he later that year took over as the CEO at Frito-Lay. Now, here on the Montaigne side of things is another executive by the name of a Frito-Lay executive by the name of Al Carey. He was at the company for 40 years and he was a, a top executive at the time of the flaming Hot development and completely corroborates Richard Montañez's version of the events, of the creation of the story. It, the article goes on to say that in 1990, Carey was working as the vice president of national sales. And Enrico went in and promoted Carey to oversee vending machines in their like warehouse division. And then Carey ultimately became the, the president and CEO of Frito, Frito-Lay North America in the late 2000s. But Carey early on met Montañez at the Cucamonga plant back in the 1980s when he was an an exec and taking a tour of the plant. And Montañez called him for advice on pitching his idea for the spicy Cheetos. And Carrie was the one that told him to call Enrico directly. And Carrie completely corroborates again, Richard's version of the story. Now, what exactly really happened those decades ago? I definitely don't know. It's probably some gray area, third version, somewhere in between the two sides of that story. But what I do know for sure is that Richard Montanez had a 35 year career at Frito-Lay PepsiCo. And he went from being a janitor to the VP of Multicultural Sales at PepsiCo, which is the holding company of Frito-Lay. And before he rose to that role, Frito-Lay had three Cheetos products. And after he rose to that role, Frito-Lay has over 20 Cheetos products. And furthermore, I also know that the story itself, the movie itself, is definitely, outside of its controversy, inspirational as fuck. And I highly recommend it. Flamin' Hot, available now on Hulu. And that, folks, was episode 238 of the Spun Today podcast. Thank you very much for rocking out with me. I really, really, really appreciate each and every one of you that take the time to listen. I Hope you got something from it. Maybe you learned something from it. Maybe you were entertained a bit and I helped you get through your day in some way, shape or form. Have you guys seen any of those movies? Hit me up on social media at Spun Today on everything and let me know what you thought. Let me know which ones you liked, which ones you didn't or which ones you plan to see now. And lastly, folks, if you'd like to support the Spun Today podcast, which I'd really appreciate, please stick around for another minute so you can listen to the myriad of ways that you can do just that. And I'll check you all out next time. Peace. What's up, folks? Tony here. I hope you're enjoying this podcast as much as I enjoy producing it for you. Here are a few quick ways you can help support this show. You can support the Spun Today podcast by going to spuntoday.com forward slash support. There you'll find my merch section where you can cop the iconic Podcasts vs. Anybody t-shirt in a wide variety of different colors and all different sizes. Also, if you're into cycling, you can cop the super soft, comfortable, minimalist design Spun Today Bike Club t-shirt. Also available in a bunch of different colors and all different sizes. There are a few other designs of different types of t-shirts. Definitely go there and check it out, spuntoday.com forward slash support. It's the merch section. Where you can also get a dope coffee mug. I have coffee mugs with the brand new redesigned Spun Today logo on one side and the tagline that I end every show with on the other, which is start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. The mug is available in both black and white because we don't discriminate here at the Spun Today podcast. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash support and check out the merch section. You can support the Spun Today podcast by checking out my writing you can go to spuntoday.com forward slash free and check out some of my free association writing, which is intended to be some cathartic free writing, but oftentimes doubles down as motivation for myself and others. At spuntoday.com forward slash short stories, you can read a bunch of the different short stories that I've written and actually listen to the audiobook versions of those short stories there as well. Another way you can help support my writing is by going to spuntoday.com forward slash books and checking out what I have in store for sale. Digital copies are available in all formats, whether it be Kindle, iBooks, or a different type of e-reader. You can also purchase paperback copies, if that's your preferred reading method. Currently available, I have my nonfiction Make Way For You, which is a collection of freely written thoughts that were curated and put together as tips for getting out of your own way. Also available is my debut time travel novel, titled Fractal. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash books to show your support. Support the spun Today podcast by following me on social at spun Today on Twitter, at Spuntoday on Instagram. Please also check out and like my Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash spuntoday. And subscribe to my YouTube page as well. On my YouTube page, not only will you get these full length episodes, but you'll also get to check out some chopped up clips and bonus content. To get to my YouTube page, just search "Spun Today on YouTube or click on any of the YouTube icons on the footer of my website. Also, don't forget to rate and review this podcast wherever it is that you're listening. It really does help. The Spun Today newsletter is available to each and every one of my listeners absolutely for free. All you have to do is go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and drop in your email address. What I'm going to do is brighten up everybody's least favorite day of the week by delivering five curated things within my weekly newsletter every Monday at noon. You're going to receive a photo of the week, a recommended podcast of the week. I listen to tons of podcasts from an array of varied interests. I cherry pick the very best ones so that you can check them out. I also share a video of the week, which can be anything from a tasty recipe to a dope rap battle to an enlightening TED talk. I also share a quote of the week. And finally, for my fellow wordsmiths out there, a word of the week so that you can step up your vocab. Again, this curated list is yours absolutely free by going to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe and dropping in your email address. And you can unsubscribe at any time. Again, go to spuntoday.com forward slash subscribe, drop in your email address, and you'll get the very next one. If you want to help support the Spunt Today podcast financially, you can do so by going to Sponsorate.com forward slash support. Here you'll find a few different ways that you can do so. You can shop on Amazon, but first go to my website, Sponsorate.com forward slash support. Click on the Amazon banner, which will take you to Amazon's website where you do your shopping like you normally do. It will not cost you anything extra, but I will get credit for driving traffic to their website. Another cool way that you can help support this show is through Patreon, where you can set up a reoccurring Donations to my podcast, whether it be $1 per show, $2 per show, etc. And depending on how much you choose to pledge, you will receive some Patreon perks in return. Things like free writing pieces, free bookmarks, free digital copies of my books, etc. Again, my Patreon link can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. You can also set up similar reoccurring payments via my Ko-fi page. And if you want to send a one-time happiness bomb donation, if you will, you can do so via my PayPal link. Again, all of which can be found at spuntoday.com forward slash support. If you're a fellow creative, a cool way that you can help support the Spun Today podcast and actually be part of the podcast is by filling out my five-question questionnaire located at spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. Here, you'll find the five open questions related to your craft, your art, what inspires you to create, what type of unrelated hobbies you're into, and what motivates you to get your work done. You can choose to remain anonymous or plug your website and your work. And once you submit your questionnaire, I read your responses on a future episode of the Spun Today podcast. It's completely free at no cost to you. And what I like to say about it is that if your responses could potentially spark inspiration in someone else, why not share that? spuntoday.com forward slash questionnaire. And as always, folks, substitute the mysticism with hard work and start taking steps in the general direction of your dreams. Thanks for listening. I love you, Aiden. I love you, Daddy. I love you, Grayson. I love you, Daddy. (laughs)